I feel a cool breeze of the Holy Spirit just enlivening our spirits today. Uh, this is the one and only time that you will ever see me in open toe shoes. Because it's 111 degrees outside, right? No one's laughing. <laughs> Camera, go ahead. Everyone online, go ahead. Get a shot. My open toe shoe, because it's the only one and only time you're ever going to see that. Mm -hmm. My wife did not want me to wear the Burks today, but it's 111 degrees. I'm wearing the Burks, right? <laughs> I'm wearing the Burks. Hey, can you guys do a favor for me? Our senior high are going on a, uh, on a retreat this week. And, and I need you guys to go to battle for them. I need you praying for God to move in their hearts, in their minds, in their spirits. I, I, need, I, I want them to experience God's presence, a revival, so that they can be strengthened and empowered as they come into this school year when everybody will be gathered back. So here's what I want to do. This, this row right here, this group of people, I want you to take Monday. So all throughout the day on Monday, I just want you to pray that God's at work in these, in these students' lives. This, this group right here, I want you guys to take Tuesday. This group right here, I want you to take Wednesday. This group from here over, I want you to take Thursday. This group over here, I want you to take Friday, okay? And then I got Saturday. It's recovery day. They're going to need to recover. I got, I got, I got Saturday. You, got, you guys with me? Will you do that for me? I can't hear you. All right, good. Let's pray. God, please prepare us to receive your word this morning. Open our minds and our hearts to your truth, God. God, we want, we want to help you win through our suffering. Ooh, did we just say that? God, we need your spirit on us when we're in a suffering period. We know that you still want to use us in our suffering period. So just, just help us to suffer well and to bring glory to your name. Pointing people in your direction when we're in the midst of it. God, I'm asking for you to move in, in our senior high youth. Protect, protect their hearts. Embolden them with your spirit. God, I'm so thankful for, for Pastor Lindsay, who, who just loves our youth, sets a tone. Use her well this week. And, and our, our volunteer adult, adult leaders. God, just use them well to breathe into these teens. Help our teens to see them and then see you. Have your way with them and us, and then send it out to change your world. In your mighty name we pray and ask. Amen. Amen. So imagine, I want you to imagine, imagine that you have been locked in a room for a month. You're also given a TV, and you're, and you're, and you're told to, um, to come up with and kind of summarize and try to figure out Christianity. By watching TV evangelists and Christian talk shows. Okay? One month later, you emerge from your prison, I mean room, with this summary of Christianity. If it's broken, God will fix it. If it's sick, God will heal it. If it's suffering, God will stop it. God has plenty of addresses to which you can send your money. You, you conclude, therefore, after watching this, you conclude, therefore, that, that, that there are certain things that are signs of God's displeasure with people. 
Hmm. An unhealed disease. A job demotion or job loss. A uh, belligerent, a unruly teen. A failed marriage. Suffering in general. You also conclude that, well, I guess there are certain other things that may be God's, signs of God's pleasure with us. A healed disease, a job promotion, a compliant teenager, a successful marriage or relationship, an increase in wealth. Huh. So I have to ask, does God really, I mean, does, there, does God really send signs of God's pleasure or displeasure through events that come our way in life? Because if God does, then the people that the church of Smyrna, they must have been messing up big time, referenced here in Revelation chapter 2. Because they had lost their, their social and economic status in this city. You see, the, the city of Smyrna, which was about 200,000 people at that point in time, it was deeply aligned with Rome. They had fought on the side of Rome in this, in this war against the Carthaginian Empire. And, and Rome viewed the city of Smyrna as a strategic city because it sat on a hill that overlooked a harbor. This city of Smyrna was also the first Asian city to construct a temple in honor of the goddess of Rome. And, 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 then, it, and, then, and then they also were granted permission to build a temple in the honor of the Roman emperor, Tiberius. In addition, on, on both sides of this city, at both ends of the city, were two other temples. One was built in honor of the local female god, Sibel, and the other was built in honor of Zeus. And so this, this strong allegiance to Rome, coupled with a very large Jewish population that was actively hostile to Christians, made it very difficult to live as a Christian in this city during this time period. When you look at the historical evidence and documents outside the Bible, you, they indicate that, that Christian businesses, Christian homes were plundered, looted, ransacked, that Christians were, were, were jailed, arrested, beaten, even killed. The, the leader of this church in Smyrna was a fellow by the name of Polycarp. At age 86, Polycarp was arrested, tried, convicted, and burned alive at the stake. The Roman leader gave him, a, gave him an out, though. The Roman leader said, hey, we won't burn you if, you if you renounce your faith in Jesus Christ and offer a sacrifice to the Roman emperor. In response, this is what Polycarp said, for 86 years I have been his slave, that is Jesus' slave, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? On hearing this, the hostile crowd erupted in anger. They gathered wood and they burned him alive. They wouldn't even let Polycarp's brothers and sisters in Christ gather his remains to bury him. Polycarp was the 12th martyr of this church of Smyrna. Eleven other people before Polycarp suffered the same fate. Why? Why did God allow these people? Why didn't God stop their suffering at the hands of the Romans? Why did God allow this? Why? Why? Well, if we buy into this thought, 
this belief that some have, that, that, that God sends signs of God's pleasure or displeasure with people through events that come our way, that, then God must have been allowing these people of, Sir, Sir, of Smyrna to suffer at the hands of the Romans because these people of Smyrna, they must have been arrogant, selfish, and unfaithful people, right? Because the God we worship wouldn't let God's people suffer, right? I mean, the God we worship would fix, heal, or stop whatever the problem is if God is pleased with us, right? I mean, if, if we were suffering through that kind of nonsense here in the United States, we would expect a letter from Jesus telling us that the Alliance Defense Fund was coming or some attorney or some politician was coming to defend us, to defend our rights as an American, right? But Jesus' message to the people of this church in Smyrna says nothing of the sort. Instead, Jesus says this, picking up in Revelation chapter 2, beginning of verse 8. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. This is a statement of power and authority. So you're people of Smyrna and you're suffering and, you, and, and, and this message to you starts this way. You're thinking, all right, yeah. I'm following the man, the God man. And Jesus is telling me, like, all power and authority resides with me. So you're, you're starting to get a little encouraged here. All right, Jesus, go do what you do best. Heal and restore us. Continuing in verse 9, Jesus says this, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Again, living in this antagonistic environment made it very hard to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. As a result, most of the Christians were economically destitute. But Jesus says this, yet you are rich. He's not talking financially. It's very important that we understand this phrase, yet you are rich. He's talking spiritually. It's very important that we understand the context of this because this, this is a big theological statement here. It's the correct wrong theology that we hear sometimes out there. The people of the Church of Smyrna, they were not arrogant, selfish, unfaithful people. They were godly people. They were being and doing Jesus in this community. That ends, that's, they're being persecuted for it. Jesus continues and says, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. See, Jews hated Christians. Jesus says that they're not really Jews. They say they're Jews, but they're not Jews. Because if they're really Jews, if they're really followers of God, they would, they'd be following me, Jesus is saying here, right? But, the, but, but in this time, the Jews, they hated followers of Jesus. Why? Because they, they viewed Christianity as a threat to their belief system. And so what they were doing in this city of Smyrna is that they were outing Christians. They were telling the Romans, hey, this is where this Christian lives. Oh, hey, this business, it's a Christian business. Oh, hey, here they are. And then the Romans, they, they did what they did best. At that point in time, they, they put the hurt on people. That's what was happening. And so in, 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 the, in these two first verses here, in this message, verses 8 and verses 9, these people the church this morning are hearing two things. One, they're hearing that hey, all power and authority is with Jesus. He's the first and the last. And death can't even hold him. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I'm getting excited now, Jesus. And two, Jesus, you're, you're, it, it sounds like you're, you're, you're starting to empathize with us. You see our suffering and our plight and our pain. You got to think that these folks were thinking, okay, Jesus, go, come on, do what you do best. Get us out of this. Help us. We're following you. Jesus says this in verse 10. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. 
Really? Seriously? We're going to suffer more? We can't take more, Jesus. What are you saying here? I tell you, the devil, Jesus says, will put some of you in prison to test you. Jesus is acknowledging that the devil is going to work through the Roman, the Roman Empire here. They're, they're going to they're make you suffer more. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days, indicating a limited time. It's not going to last forever. Gee, thanks, Jesus. And then Jesus says this, be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes by remaining faithful will not be hurt at all by the second death. Not exactly what the people of the church of Smyrna or we were hoping to hear, right? There's no easy out. No promise by Jesus to fix, heal, or stop the suffering. No guarantee of divine intervention. People, the church of Smyrna, are simply told, again, verse 10, be faithful in your suffering. Be faithful even to the point of death. What is up with that? Seriously. And instead of promising to alleviate or eliminate our suffering, Jesus, like right now, Jesus is, is shifting our focus from the now to the eternal. Why? Well, it seems that Jesus is acknowledging in this passage that we are going to suffer at some point, maybe at various points in this life. And Jesus is acknowledging the fact that the evil one is going to cause us to suffer at some point, at various points in life. And that the evil one's going to use, use institutions, use systems, use governments to cause us to suffer. And the evil one's actually going to use other people, like the evil one's using the Jews in this context to make followers of Jesus suffer. To try to turn us away from God hoping that in our bitterness that we, in essence, will curse God, go our own way, and begin to walk the path that leads to eternal death. That's the game of the evil one. Are you with me this morning? I think this may be why Jesus, in talking about suffering, also talks about the issue of life and death here. Jesus reminds us that there are two kinds of life and two kinds of death. There's the physical life and death, and there's the spiritual life and death. We, we, we can't control the physical, right? I mean, at some point in time, we're born. We don't, we don't get a choice in that one. And at some point in time, we die. We don't get a choice in that one unless, well, you know, unless, unless we take our own life. But with respect to the spiritual, God has given us the freedom to choose eternal spiritual life or eternal spiritual death. And again, because our physical life will end at some point in time, and then our physical suffering with it, and because our spiritual life or death 
lasts forever. That is, there's, there's no, end, there's no end, end to that. Jesus is saying here to the people of the Church of Smyrna and to us, don't let the evil one use suffering to make you suffer physically and spiritually, to suffer twice. Physically on this earth and then spiritually with the spiritual suffering and death lasting forever. Is anybody here want to suffer and die twice? Physically and then spiritually. Oh. Then instead of going into that prison of bitterness and turning away from God in our suffering, no matter what that suffering may be, whether that suffering is, is one of those prolonged illnesses that's just changed your life, whether it's a terminal illness, there's some cancers that we just haven't found the cure for, and, and, and they lead to, and we know, we know death is coming. Unless God does a miracle. And that's tough. Even if that, even if that suffering, well, it's that suffering, maybe it's watching a child, your child, suffer from some disease. You have no, you can't make it, you, you, your mom, you can't make it better. Maybe it's just watching a spouse just suffer and change right before you because of some injury or some disease, and you, you just, you don't know how you're. You don't know how you deal with it. It's it's tough. Maybe the suffering is is a is suffering of rejection. Maybe your spouse or someone that you really had, you really cared for, they just exited stage left, left you hanging. Maybe you've been abandoned as a kid, and that's suffering. Maybe you're suffering through abuse. And if anybody here is suffering from physical abuse, get out. Call me. We will come and we will help you figure it out. Maybe, maybe you're just suffering because of all the things that are being said about you that are untrue. Because people are jealous. Maybe it's a false claim. Maybe you're Joseph. I don't know. It's crushing your spirit because you're just tired of not being able to really be who you are because you always have these walls up. Man, whatever you're suffering, don't let the evil one take you to a place of bitterness, that prison or turn from God, Jesus is saying. Jesus says that Jesus is encouraging us here to, to keep the big picture in mind. The suffering's not gonna last forever. It's not. Even if it lasts until we physically die and we stay faithful, we're gonna spend eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See the big picture, Jesus is saying. Just remain faithful, Jesus is saying. And then Jesus is saying, just suffer well so that God can be glorified in your suffering because if you remain faithful to God, Jesus says in verse 11, the second death, that, that spiritual death that lasts forever, it won't touch you. In fact, Jesus says this. He reminds later, he says this, just to confirm what he's saying here in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. He tells them, he tells us, he will wipe every tear 
from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, no more suffering. All these things are gone forever. Forever. But in the, in the interim, Jesus, really keep the big picture in mind? Remain faithful? Suffer well? Seriously? It's hard to do, Jesus. How can I do that, Jesus, when I just lost my job and, and I'm, I'm really struggling maybe even provide for my family? How do I do that, Jesus, when I'm a single parent and I'm running here, there, and everywhere? I mean, I'm exhausted. And, and, and I want to breathe into them from a spiritual perspective. And I know that they're getting all these other voices that I can't control from a school perspective. I can't control that. It's like they're spending more time with, with other people, ungodly people that are breathing into them than me. And, I, and I'm just at wit's end. I don't know what to do. Jesus, help me. How do I suffer well then? How do I suffer well when I'm alone right now, Jesus? How? Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, these are hard questions, are they not? Again, I think that's why Jesus is trying to shift our thinking from the now to the eternal. I think because hoping that it may change our perspective here. We may start to try to see the big picture. Maybe, maybe, just maybe this kind of thinking was what helped Jesus deal with and work through his own suffering and death as he lived among us as a human being on this earth. It seems that Jesus didn't like suffering any more than we do. In fact, at one point in time, he, he asks God the Father if he can avoid his impending suffering and death. In particular, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night of his betrayal, Jesus is talking to God the Father, and we're told that Jesus says this in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. This is a cup of suffering and death. I don't want to go there. Come on, remove it, God, please. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is asking God the Father not to let him suffer and die. He's asking but if he must, Jesus is like, let me suffer well so that I can bring you glory in my suffering and death. You still may be wondering like me, as I'm walking this path of life and I'm, when I'm in a suffering moment, how can God actually be glorified in my suffering? How? Sure, God was glorified in Jesus' suffering and death because people like you and me have been brought back into right relationship with God. But like, that's, I'm not, you're not Jesus, right? But Jesus is who we've been called to be like and do like in every way and every day. So let's acknowledge the fact that suffering was a part of Jesus' life. And Jesus suffered well when he was in the midst of it. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to stop marketing a God that is only into fixing, healing, and stopping whatever may discomfort us 
and start wrestling with the question of whether we, like Jesus, will suffer well when we're in the midst of it. Will we suffer well in such a way that our son or our daughter, our mom or our dad, our brother or sister, a coworker, neighbor, friend is actually drawn to God as they watch us suffer and they see the words that we say, that our demeanor, our actions, our continued trust in God when we're in the midst of it. I mean, will we suffer well and bring glory to God in our suffering? And that's the question that Jesus is asking these people in the church of Smyrna. That's the question that Jesus is asking us. So what then do we do when we're in the midst of it? When we're in a suffering period of time, what do we do? Jesus gives us two words. He says, be faithful. In other words, I like to say just remain in Christ in your suffering. Think about it. In the midst of a storm, what does a tree do? A tree strikes deeper roots so it can weather that storm. In the midst of a tornado, I don't know, if you guys ever experienced a tornado in the Northwest here? Like, I used to live in Kansas, okay? In the midst of a tornado, what do people do there? Well, we take shelter deeper in our home. Like, we all have, we had this, we had this tornado shelter, it was cinder block, where we would go in and we would wait out the storm, the tornado. That's what, they go deeper, take shelter in the home. So in the midst of our suffering, maybe the key is to take shelter in Jesus Christ by remaining in him. And then when we remain in him, this is what happens. God continues to work us, make us more like Jesus Christ as we stay attached to the vine. I'll get to that in a second. And, 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 and as we remain in our suffering, God can actually use us to expand God's kingdom as God uses us to draw people to God and how they, when we suffer well, people see that, oh my goodness, I want to follow this God because of how you're suffering. What a great testimony. Are you with me? To point people in God's direction even when we suffer. If you remember these words of Jesus, Jesus says this in John 15, beginning at verse 4. He says, remain in me. There's no qualifier there. It's not remain in me when things are going good. It's really remain in me when things are going bad, if you want to put a qualifier on it. It just says remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot, branch, that's us. That's the analogy. We're the branch, right? For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. The vine is Jesus. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. No qualifier there. So even in our suffering, when we remain in Christ, we can produce fruit for the kingdom. That is, God can use us to expand God's kingdom by pointing people in our sphere of influence who are not following God yet to God as they see us suffer well. Jesus ends this with saying, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So why this instruction by Jesus to remain in him? Well, there's lots of reasons. 
But in the context of suffering, since that's what we're focused in on, in the context of suffering, when whatever prosperity or enjoyments of life that we have found comfort in, when all those things have been stripped away because of our suffering, maybe it's our physical health, maybe it's some financial uh, things that have been stripped away from us, maybe it's some relational things that have been stripped away from us, whatever we had found comfort in instead of Christ, when that's all stripped away in our suffering, we're really left with two choices. Stew, sulk, in our bitterness, in our suffering, and then just live as a perpetual victim? That's one choice. Or we can allow God to continue to shape us, work us, make us more like Christ by remaining in Christ so that God can not only continue to work and shape us and make us more like Christ, but also can use us to expand God's kingdom here on earth as we suffer well. Here's the deal. When we remain in Christ, God continues to do work in us in our suffering. When we're remaining in Christ, God is able to do what? Well, God's able maybe to humble any prideful spirit that we may have in our suffering. In our suffering, God can temper any impatient spirit that we may have. In our suffering, God can mortify, I love that word, destroy, mortify any selfish spirit that we may have, which then does what? Which then shifts us from being a self-focused person to a God-focused, other-focused person. And then what does that do? Well, that allows us to become more empathetic for other people in our sphere of influence who may be suffering, and God may be able to use us to move them to a better place. Do you want a real and raw example of this? You guys will never, ever get the pleasure of ever knowing my mom and dad. Just where we are in that stage of life. You're just, you're just not going to get to know that pleasure. When, when they were humming, when they were making music as a, as a couple, uh, they, they, they were different. My mom, was that, my mom was that boisterous. You never had to worry about what my mom was thinking because she's going to tell you, man, boom. She was coming. She's a driver. The church we were at, they always put her in charge of stuff because she just, she just if she'd get it done. She was a get-it-done person, task-focused. Some people said, does she have a heart? Yes, my mom had a heart. She'd hug you. But she was, she was just, she was just that, that way. My dad, on the other hand, man, my dad never met a stranger. He was just this servant. I mean, he said great. He was a calming presence. Again, together, they just, they made sweet, they made sweet music. Then my dad came down with dementia. And, and my mom initially, it's, I mean, like anybody, it's, it's hard to handle that. Really trying to understand that. And she would get frustrated. She would get sharp with her tongue. And she would say some things that she probably wishes she never would have said to him as he was moving in that direction. Just really out of frustration. Anger, not at him, but just the situation. And it was hurting my dad's spirit at various times. My dad continued on this path. And then, well, then COVID hits. And my mom fell. She fell twice. The second time, well, since August, she's been in a home because she can't walk. Very frustrating for a person who's been a very independent woman for a long time. 
And as I see what God is doing in my mom, as I listen on the phone, I see that he is tenderizing her spirit. And she just has a, I don't know, a, a way about her that you just enjoy the conversation. And it's not about her ailments. It's just about life. And the way that she talks about my dad is different. More tender heart. Like I just enjoy his presence when he can come and visit me. And it's a beautiful thing to see. In our suffering, God's continuing to work in us if we will let him. And I'm sure that as God's continuing to change her, she's having impact on these caregivers for her because I hear about it. She's vocal about her faith. And people can see the joy in the Lord in her. And maybe, just maybe, some people as she suffers well will come to know Jesus Christ. So may you suffer well. May you suffer well so that you can bring glory to God when you're in the midst of it. So God can use you to expand God's kingdom here on earth. So someone in your sphere of influence will actually come to want to follow this God as they watch you suffer. Now, I don't want you to take Jesus' message here to this church, Smyrna, to weird places. This does not mean that we don't ask God to alleviate and eliminate our suffering. Jesus did. Right? I mean, I'm going to keep asking. I don't know about you. And, and I don't want you to think that, that, this is, that God's not going to eliminate, maybe alleviate our, our suffering in some way. Because Jesus did that throughout the New Testament. Jesus fed the hungry. Jesus healed people of various diseases. Jesus cast out demons. I mean, Jesus... Jesus helped people emotionally heal in so many different ways. So I don't want you to you keep asking and to just keep trusting, okay? Jesus' message here is pretty simple, though. He's just acknowledging the fact that in this life, we are going to suffer. We are. And, and he's promising that if we remain faithful in our suffering, we will spend eternity with God our Father and with everyone else that follows God where there is no more suffering and death. And when we're in the midst of it, God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ to walk that suffering path with us. Whether it's a listening ear, maybe it's an encouraging word, Maybe it's just holding a hand or giving a shoulder to cry on. Just walking there. Just being there. God's always with us. Do you believe that? So if there's anybody here this morning that's just in some, some period of suffering and you just... You just can't take it. I mean, your heart, you're just disheartened. You're, you feel depleted. I just want to invite you this morning to come to God's altar of mercy and grace. To just, just stay attached to that vine so that Jesus can fill you with 
with his spirit. So, so God can comfort you, strengthen you, empower you in your suffering. And if you come this morning to kneel or stand, arms just here, God, I just, I can't, I'm at wit's end. I don't know what to do. And I don't want to go into a bitterness hole. I don't want to go into that life pit. I don't want to give the evil one power over me. I just don't want to go. I don't want to, I've been there before and it, it's hell. I don't want to go there. Just, just, God, help me. I can't do this on my own. And if you see one of your friends or family members, just come and have a moment with God. I'm going to ask that you come behind them. Maybe just put your hand on their shoulder and say, hey, whisper in there, what do you want God to do for you today? And then just on their behalf, intercede, God, come on, please move in this way. And then always, always say, God, please, please embolden, please strengthen Please help them stay attached to you. Please use them in this suffering time to bring glory to you so that people in their sphere of influence are drawn to you. Are you with me this morning? Does that make sense? Will you stand with me as our worship team leads us in this song? And again, if you're just in one of the, I mean, if you're in a time of suffering, just this morning, come and receive from God and, and let someone go to battle for you. Oh, God, please take a pause. We just want to ask, God, please, mm, help us, empower us, strengthen us to stay, to remain faithful in our faith. <laughs> To just be faithful people even when we're suffering. But we need your strength. We need other brothers and sisters in Christ to help us. So please put friends in our lives that you will use to encourage us, walk this path with us. God, we want to stay faithful to you forever. Please help us live so. In your life-giving, powerful name we pray and ask. Amen. This is my confidence, you never fail.
if you're suffering because you're not following Jesus yet and you're experiencing hell on earth, I, I just, I want you to know that that suffering can end today. All you gotta do is say, hey, I, God, just clean me up. I won't follow you. I don't even know what to do. Just help me take that next step. Send me an email, danderson at hillchurch.com. We will follow up with you and walk the path with you. That, that suffering can end. You don't have to live in hell anymore. And then I want to leave you with one more hardcore example of what suffering well looks like. You may know, he's become a friend of mine since I've been here these last four years. His name's Tom McFadden. And he is suffering with cancer. And it is, it is destroying his body. But this is a guy that sends me at least, it seems like at least once a week, an encouraging text, even in his suffering. Hey, Pastor Dave, I got a word for you. Hey, I just want to encourage you. Hey, God's using him in his suffering to expand God's kingdom. God's using Tom McFadden to help me see and almost like what it, what, how to suffer well. So if you're watching, Tom, I just want to say thank you. And then Tom has, we have a small little men's text group. Because there's some days, he's hurting. He wants us to know, I need help. I need a word. I need something. And the texts start flying. The prayers start going. You're never alone, Tom. I want you to know, never alone. If you're suffering, you don't have to suffer alone. Let your brothers and sisters in Christ know. Let them, let God, God minister through them so that you can suffer well in the midst of it and point more and more people to this God who saves us forever and forever. Are you with me this morning? Oh God, please have your way with us. Empower us and strengthen us. Please use us to change the world even through suffering. So may we, God, may we suffer well and in our suffering, may we bring glory to you. In the powerful, life-giving name of Jesus, we pray and ask amen. You're dismissed to go change the world.